Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Archives. While our main sermon podcast, uh, Words from the Wildwood, can be found on Sunday mornings, this is more of a retrospective, a looking back at where I have been, where I preached, what I've had the opportunity to do, and the observations I've made along the way. I hope that you can look back with me at many of these sermons that have come. Some may sound a little dated, but you might be impressed to hear things that were going on then that are still going on today. I hope you enjoy this offering from the archives. Okay, talking about spiritual warfare, right? First thing we said is what? Spiritual warfare is psychological warfare. Begins up in the head. It begins with Satan trying to deceive you as to what the Word of God says. What's the antidote to being deceived? Study the Word of God. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against the Lord. Put the Word in there in its purest form, straight from the Word. That way when Satan puts a counterfeit in front of you, did God really say? You say, yes he did, so go away Satan. So, one, spiritual warfare is psychological. Second, spiritual warfare drives us to blame the other person. It's not my fault I got angry, Bruno, because you made me angry, therefore it's your fault. Now, I don't deny that I sinned. But I blame Bruno for it. Or I say, Roland, you shouldn't have said that in early bird. And you set me off. And you ruined my whole day. Have you ever had someone tell you that you ruined my whole day? Is it possible for somebody to ruin your day? No. No, it ain't possible. You can ruin your day by letting somebody else get the blame game going, get into your mind, cause you to get off track, and to get away from what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, I have control over the spirit that's within me, right? Therefore, if I lose my temper, it's whose fault? My fault. If Satan puts a temptation in front of me, is it my wife's fault? No. If she makes a cheesecake at 11 o'clock at night and says, Honey, do you want a piece? And I take a piece of cheesecake at 11 o'clock at night. Whose fault is that? Yours. Mine. That's right. Diabetes will teach you one thing. You have to say yes or you have to say no. Because nobody else can make that choice for you. No one is shoving it down your throat. Okay, that brings us to tonight. Okay, if spiritual warfare is psychological, if it's all about blame, then it's also about physical warfare. How many of y'all know who Ulysses was? Ulysses or Odysseus, the great Greek commander who was part of the siege of Troy and uh, helped do all that. Now on his way home, he got lost. Well, he got blown off course by the gods, actually. So Ulysses got sent on a trip all over the place. And at one time, he encountered a bunch of screaming women. Remember what they were called? Sirens. The siren call is what I want to talk about tonight. You see, like the sirens who tempted Ulysses, who tried to draw him to the rocks to shipwreck his vessel, just like those sirens, sin calls to us to call us away from the path God has given us, to call us onto the rocks so that we destroy our ship or our lives, our marriages, our businesses, whatever you have it be. The siren call is something you deal with every day. One pastor put it this way, life is like a journey down a darkened street. You begin down the street and you notice from the corner of your eye that there are shadowy figures in every window. In every window there is a pale red light that seems to draw your attention. Yet every time you look at the windows, you're drawn from the center of the street. In the center of the street, you are safe. As you come near the edges, there are stones, broken walkways, things that will trip you up. Now, appearing in these windows, at first are shadowy figures, then they become the very images of the things you desire. For men, it becomes women, or money, or power. For women, it becomes whatever their hearts desire, a family, children, respect in the community. 
as we begin to recognize in the windows of these houses the things that we desire, our temptation is to swerve onto one of the side paths to approach the house to see if we can grab that which does not belong to us. Finding that as we enter the yard of that house, the gate slams behind us and we're stuck. That's how he talked about the siren call of sin. What he talks about there. I want to go to Genesis 4, 1 through 5. So open up the Word of God tonight. Genesis 4, 1 through 5 is where we're going to start. We're continuing in Genesis because these early chapters of Genesis tell us so much about the process of the Christian life. Spiritual warfare is about fighting the siren call. Sin calls us to compromise. Now we all know what compromise is. Compromise is when I know the best thing, then I also know some good things, then I also know some bad things. Any choice you make in life, you know the right choice because the Word of God tells you what you should do. Now sometimes there are some good choices, they're not the best choice, they're not the thing that God lays out for your life, but they're kind of good things. You can kind of justify swerving from the best to do a good thing. In fact, most pastors in their ministries are drawn from the best thing to the good things. We fill up our days doing good things, visiting people in their hospital beds, going to homes, doing charity work. These are all good things. But for a pastor, is that the best thing? No. What is the best thing? To know and understand the Word of God so we can preach and proclaim the Word of God and call people to salvation. That's the best thing. But everybody will praise the good thing. Now on the outside of those good things are the things that are less good. The things that are more selfish. The things that are about me. Let's see what it says. Genesis 4, 1 through 5. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Cain was so very angry that his face fell, meaning his countenance or his appearance became darkened and vicious and angry and vile. Okay, sin calls us to compromise. Take a look at it. Genesis 4.3. In the course of time, Cain brought to Yahweh an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, of course, Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it seems only natural to us that he would have brought to the Lord something from his own hands. Something that he had labored for, right? This phrase, in the course of time, if you look in your Bibles, you look in the study notes, you will see that this phrase means at the end of a period of time. So this phrase signifies the conclusion of something. Many authors believe that because the ancient Hebrews were agrarian, they were, they were tillers of the ground, raisers of vegetables and fruits, this meant at the harvest time. So at the harvest time, Cain is going to bring in all the things that he has labored for. So it seems natural that he would say, well, God, you've given me this ground to work, so I'm going to give you out of my abundance. Aha. Uh -huh. However, look at 4.4. 4. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flocks and of the fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offerings. But for Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. See, that seems kind of odd, huh? Well, if the Lord had regard for Abel, but not for Cain, what was the difference? How many of you have heard the difference was that one gave blood and the other gave no blood? 
Have you heard that before? Way back in the day, people used to teach that the reason why Cain was not accepted is he gave fruit. And that Abel was accepted because he gave blood offerings. They compared that to the offering that was made in the Garden of Eden when they had to clothe Adam and Eve of their sins. They had to clothe them in blood. Also later, of course, for certain sin offerings, an animal had to be sacrificed. But let's not forget, in Deuteronomy, the fruit of the ground, the first fruits of a harvest were also acceptable to the Lord. So what's the difference? What's the difference between one man's offering and another? If two men in this congregation or two women in this congregation both make an offering to the Lord and the Lord seems to smile on one but not on the other, what could be the possible conclusion? We don't raise sheep and raise vegetables anymore. You're not going to come put uh, pomegranates in the offering plate, are you? Now, of course, in Montana, when I served there, people would bring in the latest slaughtered animal, for which I was grateful because I usually you know, reap some of that benefit myself. Anyways, what was the difference? Hebrews 11.4. Find it in your Bible, mark it, know it. Hebrews 11.4 is why Abel was accepted and Cain was rejected. Remember, the best way to understand the Bible is not to go to a scholar, not to go to a PhD, not to go to a pastor, but go back to the Word. The Word always interprets itself. Why did one thing not work and the other did? Here it is. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So that's the whole deal right there. By faith, one gave an offering to God. And of course, it says right here, he gave an offering of the fat portions, of the very best. Abel gave the very best he had to the Lord. And that's why the Lord accepted it, because he believed in his heart that God was worthy of the very best. So he gave the very best to God. Could Cain have given the very best of his harvest and been acceptable to God? Yes. It didn't matter that one was meat and the other was vegetables. It mattered that the spirit of the giver was different. If you come to church and you give begrudgingly, angrily, frugally, that's a good polite word, if you're cheap with the Lord, you give because you have to, you go, okay, this is not 10%, but this is like 9.8. That's good enough. That's all God deserves. If that's your attitude in giving, it doesn't matter how much you give. It will never be acceptable. If you're giving to God to get something back, he won't accept that either. God wants you to give to him because he is God, because he is holy. He is the giver of life. He is all that we need in this world. Everything else is gravy. The sin of Cain was that he compromised and only gave God something, not the best. Ask yourself how many people come to church on Sunday and they dress in a suit and tie. They shave and put on stinky water. How many women get all decked out and in the South, you know, because women put their big old hats on. And the hats are so big, you sit behind them in church. Lord, if you can see the pastor, you get a wave to us. And then when they get the hands going in church, woo, you can't see nothing no ways. I mean, I've been in them churches, you know. Or Miss Opal Anderson, you sit behind me. Opal couldn't sing. She sings worse than I do. No, we're close. Opal couldn't sing, but she sang at the top of her lungs. You know what? I'd rather sit in front of an Opal Anderson who can't sing and gives God 150 decibels of noise than sit by somebody who's got a beautiful voice who just ekes out amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, some people, they, don't, they sing that, 
But they just barely get it out. They just barely put any love into it. There's no passion in what they do for God. They just come and punch the time clock. That's the sin of compromise. We come into God's presence and we're thinking about our checkbook. And we're thinking about the TV dinner that our wife burned. Or we're thinking about, oh, did I turn the chili off over in the kitchen? Or we're thinking about the person that cut us off of the road. And we're not thinking about the God of glory who's right there in our presence. God was still with them, even though they'd been kicked out the garden. But he compromised in his walk with the Lord and only gave them what he had to, to kind of buy him off. That's why Cain wasn't accepted. He was called to compromise, and he did. And when he compromised, God would not accept him. As a result, it says he became very angry and his face fell. It's a tragic thing when that happens. So let's move on. So, the siren call happens when sin calls us to compromise. But what else does it do? Genesis 10, 6 through 10. Genesis 10, 6 through 10. Sin calls us to envy and to anger. After we have compromised, after we have given God less than he deserves, after we have given God just barely enough to, to assuage our guilty hearts, then we are oftentimes motivated to envy and anger. You know, I, I listen to people sometimes at church, it's funny. They say, Wow, what's that person got to be so happy about? They don't have as nice a car as I do. They don't have as nice a house as I do. How come they're always running around and praise God, praise God, brainless morons? You know what? That's a heart of envy and jealousy and frustration and compromise because they won't let somebody else be joyful for the Lord unless they have as much as them when they have so much and they have no joy. They have no peace. Look what it says. Genesis 4, 6-10. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, and Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. See, Cain compromised. When Cain compromised, God didn't see the offering on the altar. God saw what was happening in Cain's heart. So he rejected it. He rejected it so that Cain would understand that the attitude of his heart was wrong. He was doing it to chastise him. How many of us, when our kids lie to us, when our kids lie to us for the first time, we have to kind of sternly reprimand them? What do you think you're doing? Don't you think I know what you're... You've hurt me by lying to me. I mean, we kind of go a little heavy on them the first time they lie to us. The 800th time they lie to us as teenagers, of course, we're a little bit worn down by them, but we still keep going. Our point is to get them to understand the seriousness of what they've done, amen? We want them to know this is not acceptable. This is not a good thing that you are doing. So he was, trying to, he was trying to chastise Cain to get him to see the problem he had committed. But look at this, verse, verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. If you do well, what does that mean? If you do what is proper, if you come to me with the right attitude, if you come to me with thanksgiving, if you come to me with praise, if you come to me because you desire to be with me, not because you have to be with me. Not because you have to be here on Wednesday night or there on Sunday morning. If you come because you are drawn by your love for me, 
then of course you will be accepted. I will love you and embrace you and take you into my arms. He says, if not, sin is like a snake, crouched at the door, slithered up, waiting to bite you. Also thought of it this way, sin is like a landmine waiting to go off. Or taking off what we said Sunday, sin is like that ugly photo waiting to pop back up and plunge you back into that negative situation, that negative way of thinking. You see, if you don't deal with God's chastisement, when God calls your attention to your sin, deal with it. If you don't deal with it, then sin, the devil, everything is sitting right there to drive its fangs deeper and deeper into your heart so that you harden your heart against God. You harden your heart against his chastisement so that you no longer hear that God is trying to call you home. How many of us know people who become so hardened to God's spirit? Because they're angry, they're frustrated, they're jealous of somebody else. They didn't get that thing they want. They didn't get that person they want. They didn't get that job they want. Uh, God didn't answer their prayer the way they wanted it answered. I mean, it'd be so easy to sit right here tonight and, and just be angry. Why did God let my dad die? Why didn't God save him? I'm a pastor. I preach the word. He should have saved him. No, he shouldn't. Where in the world does it say that in the Bible? That just because the pastor prays for healing, the healing comes. It don't say that nowhere. I visited a lady yesterday. Went with two of our church members. We visited a lady. And uh, I told her, I am just so impressed with your attitude that you realize that, that God's probably not going to heal you. God's probably going to take you home. But praise God, you've got this right attitude. She was sitting there. She's dying. She knows she's dying. But she was the most positive, sweet wonderful, lovely woman you'd ever want to meet in your life. She's a fantastic person because she's accepted that sometimes God heals and sometimes God doesn't. Sometimes God gives you and sometimes God takes away from you. I mean, this is just, it's the fact of life. God don't always give you what you want, but he gives you what you need to continue to serve him. If Cain could have accepted that, if he could have accepted that I made a misstep, I made a mistake, God, I sinned against you. I shouldn't have been so jealous. Our Father, forgive me. Set me straight. I wonder what would have happened if that day Cain would have just said, Lord, you're right. I'm bitter and I'm angry and it's my own fault and Father, forgive me and accept my offering. If he'd gone back and done it right, what would have happened if Cain had just repented instead of hardening and becoming so bitter? Look at verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. See, the Lord intervened. The Lord saw Cain's heart. He said, Cain, here's your chance. I'm warning you, baby, don't go down this road. If you go down this road, there ain't no coming back. He warned him. He warned him good. Sin wants you and it will have you. Sin took Cain that day and took him to the point of killing his brother because of jealousy and envy. And that's where murder enters the world. That's where it all comes in. Then Yahweh said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer to that, by the way? Are you your brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Every Christian has to say, yes, I am. I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. I am the keeper of those that God has put in my life. And I am responsible when I see sin at your door to tell you, hey, brother, watch out. That snake's going to bite you. You keep stepping that way. Sin's going to get you. That's the warning that we all give. It isn't the pastor's job. It's the believer's job. 
It's the Christian's job to warn people, don't step by the snake, because the snake will bite you. It's the nature of the snake to bite. So this is it. Now take a look at John 8. If you want to understand all this, John 8, 43 and 44. John 8, 43 and 44 says this. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words, Jesus speaking. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, right here, and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When you get into a situation, you have to realize that voice you hear that says, do what you want to, follow your feelings, follow your heart. That is the devil. The devil will always tell you to trust yourself. The Holy Spirit says, don't trust yourself. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your emotions. Don't trust your upbringing. Trust the word of God. Trust the warning of God's word. Never go by what your head says. Never trust your heart. Only trust the word. That's why David says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because if I try to think, what am I supposed to do? Instantly, the word of God should pop up. The scripture should come to my mind to tell me what to do, to give me the direction. And even though my feeling is to pop that guy in the mouth or to, or to give him the high sign for cutting you off in traffic, the word of God says, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't let the snake bite you. That's the whole thing. He was talking to these men who would not listen to him. He said, because your father's the devil. And here's the thing. In the world, you only got one or two daddies. Either the devil's your daddy or God's your daddy. We're not talking in an earthly sense. We're talking in a spiritual sense. You either follow one father or you follow the other. There's no other ground, guys. You understand that? You either follow the Lord, straight and narrow path, or everything else is following Satan. Everything else is following the devil. And you will go where your natural inclination is. That's why the natural man can't please God. Because his natural inclination is to follow the way of Satan. To follow the way of selfishness. To follow the way of envy and jealousy and strife and frustration. That narrow path to follow God is just right there. But, but, but Jesus is always going to be calling you to follow that. If you're a believer. If you're born again. If you have the Holy Spirit inside you. So spiritual warfare is about avoiding the siren call. Because the siren call wants you to compromise. First and foremost, compromise the word. Don't speak out. Don't say you're a Christian. Don't say that's wrong. Don't correct the person who's in, who's in a mistake. That's compromise. And that doesn't please the Lord. That's the way of Cain. Second thing in there is, if, if you compromise, your heart's going to be filled with jealousy, envy, strife, anger, frustration. Because compromise leads to all those things. Whereas strict obedience to the word of God calls you to peace. Because you know what you're doing is right, even if everybody else is wrong. Third thing, Genesis 4, 11 through 16. Sin, which calls us to compromise, calls us to envy and anger, will call us to a life of isolation. Genesis 4, 11 through 16. Sin calls us to a life of isolation. Now here it is, Genesis 4, 11. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. Cain said to Yahweh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whosoever finds me will kill me. Then Yahweh said to him, not so. 
If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Pay attention to these next few words, because they will tell you a lot about the people around you. And he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It is so critical. It is so critical you understand that those who choose compromise, those who embrace frustration and anger and envy and jealousy will wind up living in a place called Nod. And we'll come back to that in just a second. Genesis 4.12 says this, You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Here is somebody who is outcast. Remember, Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden. They were cast out of paradise. At the entrance to the tree of life were posted two angelic beings. What are they? The angel and the flaming sword. Two separate angelic beings. The angel, of course, the all-seeing presence of God. The Shekinah, the fire of God, which led Israel out of captivity. The flaming sword. Both of which blocked the way back to the tree of life. So they've been exiled from the Garden of Eden. Now, Cain has gone one step further. He is being kicked out of the presence of the collected people of the earth. Now, Adam and Eve have been begotten quite a bit. So it ain't like there's four people on the earth. There's a whole mess of people on the earth. Now, if you're from the south where I'm from, you know that anytime you got two cousins, you're going to have 16 children and 32 grandchildren within a very short period of time. And that's just in one part of Kentucky. Imagine here when everything was perfect and life was long and beautiful and yes, you could have a mess of people in no time. To be outcast from all the living people on the earth, what a terrible punishment. But what does frustration and anger get us? If we are jealous and frustrated and angry and bitter, don't we exile ourselves from everybody, from everything that is good, from all the people who are around us? Don't we wind up leaving the church and leaving and just walking into the world all by ourselves? I mean, I, I love what he says. He says, you be a fugitive and a wanderer. Look at, look at 414. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground. Why is that so important? Cain was a worker of the ground. Where was his pride? In his walk with God? In his skill as a farmer. His pride, his love was the earth. This is for all them ELF people. This is for all them tree huggers and bunny lovers out there. Don't love the creation. Love the creator. Okay? Cain loved the earth. Why? Because the earth submitted to him and gave it the fullness of its increase. When he farmed, he got back a lot of crop. So he was very successful. But now God has taken away from him what? The source of his pride. What did Cain bring God? Look, God, look what I did. Look what I produced. Look what I have for you. Did he have anything from himself? No. Every good and pleasing thing comes from God. God had given him the success with the land. He should have said, Lord, here is what you have given me. I'm only giving back to you what's already yours. But in the arrogance of his heart, he thought he was giving God something. And now God has taken that away from him. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, away from my first love, the thing of my pride. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Who does this sound like to you? Sounds like David to me in Psalm 51, 11. This is what it says in Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Listen to 11. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Right? Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. When we become 
this vengeful, vindictive, angry person. When we take our attention away from God's holiness, we put it on ourselves, we compromise for the sake of those around us. What are we doing? We are polluting our heart. We're dirtying ourselves up. The only hope that Cain had, the only hope that we have today when we get in that situation is to come back to God like David did. David had murdered one of the 30 greatest warriors in Israel. Look at the list of David's mighty men. 30 great mighty men. Right there, you will see Uriah the Hittite. He slaughtered one of his best warriors just to get at his wife, to hide his sin. And yet, yet in Psalm 51, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. He knew he was jacked up. He knew he was messed up bad. Cast me not away from your presence because he deserved it. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He deserved that too. Then restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He was asking for the one thing that David could not do for himself. He could not restore his relationship to God. God had to restore for him. The arrogance of Cain did not beg and plead, Oh, oh God, restore me. Draw me back. Make me new again. Give me a second chance, Daddy. I need to do this again. He didn't do that. He said, oh, you cast me away. Oh, poor is me. You know, I lost my land. I lost your presence. Verse 16 says this. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Anybody know where Nod is? Nod's not a place. You know that, don't you? The word Nod has two meanings. The first is wandering. Nod means incessant, ongoing, eternal wandering. The second is exile. So when he says he settled in the land of Nod, it means he settled in the land of exile and in the land of wandering. Think about what that means for the person who knows God, yet who embraces compromise, who becomes consumed with anger, frustration, jealousy, rage, who, who makes that movement and rather than repent before a holy God, chooses to live in isolation from God's love, from God's goodness, from God's grace, from God's presence. Can you imagine the arrogance necessary to take and prefer to live for eternity as a fugitive from the face of God? Rather than simply repent and come back to your father and be restored. That's what Cain chose. Cain chose to live forever as a wanderer, an exile from the grace of God, rather than come home and repent and be restored. I have to wonder, at that moment when God warned him, what would have happened if Cain had said, you know what, you're right God. I am far too angry and I might do something stupid. Restore me, cleanse me, heal me, make me whole. What would have happened even after he murdered him? When he says, where's your brother? If instead of saying, am I my brother's keeper? If he said, Lord, I have sinned against you. I have done a wrong thing. Like David, oh God, I have sinned against you only have I sinned. What would have happened? What would happen in each of our lives today? If the next time we fly off the handle, we get furious, we get indignant, we get upset. What would happen if instead of venting all that rage, we came to our father and said, Lord, I have everything that you've given me. Nothing that you've given me is lost. I have all the blessings that you could possibly pour out. I have all this grace. God help me to live with the grace I have. If Cain had been content to be a farmer and simply give his very best to God, he could have continued to live in the presence of God's family, God's people, and not been forced to wander in exile for the rest of his natural life. Terrible. Now don't listen to the siren song tonight. There's a lot of people out there listening to the song and they're, they are living lives of utter frustration and wandering in exile. 
One, remember that compromise is not an option for the believer. We don't have the right to compromise. God owns you 100%. He can do with your life whatever he chooses. That's the will you take. He willed to take my father home. He took my father home. Other people he might will to heal. If he does, praise God. If he doesn't, praise God too. He chooses to bless us with the things that we have. Some things he withholds. I know some people who've never gotten married, but they desperately want to be married. But God's withheld that. And you know what? Their lives are just as productive, just as glorious, just as big a testimony as if they had gotten married. Some people have too many children. Some people don't have any. We have what God gives us. So we don't know why. And we, our frustration with that is huge. Sometimes we don't know why. Why did Marilyn and I lose our baby? I don't know. But you know what? You have what God gives you. And you say, praise God for what I got. And if I wake up and I don't have everything everybody else has got, that's okay. Because God is God. And I have what he's given me. And I need to press on. You know what? One, remember that compromise is never an option. Two, if I obey Christ, I am loved and accepted as I am. I just need to walk it out. Walk out what I have. Walk out who I am. And third, lonely isolation is the only reward for those who listen to Satan's song. If you know someone tonight who is listening to that song, who's living in isolation, wandering far from the grace of God, living in anger and frustration and rage, you need to go to them and share with them this secret about spiritual warfare. Satan desires for you to move from psychological effect to blame. He desires to move you toward physical manifestation of rage and separation so that he can keep you from the message of Christ. May God bless you to have what you need to share this with others. Let's pray. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless, and remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.